The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, <coughs> so uh, good morning everyone and uh, nice to see you again as always. So let us carry on <coughs> where we left off yesterday. So we have been looking at uh, the factor of giving up by dispelling, which is the sixth factor uh, of the Sabhasava Sutta, all the taints. And it's about how to overcome unwholesome thoughts. And it's very closely related to the idea of right effort on the path. So I'm going to have a look at a few more suttas that are related to the uh, same topic. Uh, uh, right, right effort, uh, how to overcome um, perhaps laziness, yeah, or, or not laziness perhaps, but uh, forgetting about the path and these kind of things. Uh, and so these next couple of suttas, it's very brief suttas about the idea of time and the importance of uh, kind of getting down to business and uh, doing what is required on this path. So again, uh, these are a couple of suttas from the uh, Devata Sangyuta, the uh, uh, spirits, the heavenly beings, the gods, uh, and uh, how they uh, speak in the presence of the Buddha, and then the Buddha's response. Uh, and these two suttas we're going to look at now, very simple suttas. Yeah, there's almost nothing to them. Uh, and uh, sometimes the simplest suttas uh, are the best ones. Uh, they are the best because they're easy to understand usually. And uh, usually they are easy to contemplate, but the meaning is actually often more profound than meets the eye. There's something there which is important to take on board. So simpleness uh, is not a sign of something to be kind of glossed over. Uh, often it is a sign of something that you just need to contemplate a bit more deeply. If it wasn't important, uh, the Buddha wouldn't be talking about it. Uh. So this first sutta from the Devata Sangyuta is called the Time Flies By. Yeah, and uh, <coughs> this is how it goes. Uh, at Savati, standing to one side, that Devata recited this verse in the presence of the Buddha. Time flies by, the nights swiftly pass, the stages of life successively desert us. Seeing clearly this danger in death, one should do deeds of merit that bring happiness. So that's the kind of the worldly uh, way of thinking, yeah, it's already a little bit spiritual because you are thinking, taking in account the idea of rebirth, but then comes the the Buddha's response. Time flies by, uh, the night swiftly pass, uh, the stages of life successively desert us, uh, seeing clearly this danger in death, uh, a seeker of peace should drop the world's bait. <laughs> It's nice, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's very simple. So, so um, the the idea here is just you know the simple idea is just how quickly time tends to go by, uh, and before you know it, you are on your deathbed uh, and you're out of here. It happens so fast, and you kind of look back and you wonder what happened to your life. It's a common experience when people die. That's what they, what you hear anyway. Uh, and what happened to your life? Uh, it's gone. Uh, the opportunity uh, is. Uh, is no longer there. Uh, yeah, the, the night swiftly passed. It was interesting. I was just talking with Ajahn Nisarano. We were having 
uh, breakfast in there and Ajahn Nisana was saying to me, oh, it's already only two days left of this retreat, yeah? It was so to the point because it's exactly the sutta we're going to talk about. It's like it's just disappeared. What happened to this last six days? Uh, just kind of vanished into thin air. Uh, and now it's come to the end. And sometimes if you want to contemplate how quickly time passes, uh, it is more useful to look back uh, in time rather than to look forward. Uh, if you look forward in time, it's kind of amorphous uh, because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, it's very hard to grasp how quickly time goes if you look forward. Uh, but if you look back in time, uh, it's actually very easy. Uh, you know, I think back to the time I was 20, it seems like yesterday. Uh, it seems like I just became a monk just recently. Uh, been a monk for 25 years. Well, that's what they say anyway. If you kind of go to the calendar, you count it all up, you can come to 25, 26 years, but it doesn't feel like that. Uh, so looking back is always useful. And then you project that uh, backward looking into the future. And you know the future is going to be exactly the same. Uh, yeah, certainly one day you are, uh, I don't know, how it depends how old you are now. Certainly one day you are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. Uh, then you're dead and then you're reborn. And then the same thing happens in your next life. And it goes on and on like that. Uh, and it's very, so just to kind of give yourself that little extra oomph in your practice, yeah, reminder of how quickly uh, things pass. Uh, it's very, it's very important. Uh, and seeing the danger in death, yeah, again, this idea that now is the opportunity. Uh, actually, just this moment, when I say now, I don't mean kind of today, I mean this moment, yeah, that right now is the opportunity to do the right thing. Uh, right now is the chance to direct your mind in the right way not next moment but this very moment this is kind of what it is about uh, yeah it's making it very immediate very here and now uh, and not waiting even for one fraction of a second the moment you think you wait even if it's just a very short time into the future uh, it means you're not really grasping the what is going on here uh, it is now you have to act uh, so it's beautiful. And of course, then the deva, you know, being a deva, being still attached to the uh, sensual pleasures of the world, says, well, we should make merit. Uh, and of course, you can make merit. There's nothing wrong with making merit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, the, it's kind of natural. You want, we sure, certainly want to make sure that we have a happy life next time around. Uh, but the Buddha sees more deeply. Uh, he understands that just making merit, it doesn't really get you anywhere. Uh, you're still on the same merry-go-round. Okay, so you have one nice lifetime, but then what? Uh, it goes on. Yeah, it's just a kind of short reprieve, a short holiday in samsara. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's nice to have a holiday, uh, but you have to go back to work again. Uh, yeah, that's the problem with the holiday. Uh, you get one week off, two weeks off. Uh, you have a holiday here at the BSV, uh, but then, uh, <laughs> yeah, then you have to go back again. Uh, and so that's the problem. And that's why the Buddha says, instead of just uh, making merit, he says, uh, a seeker of peace. Yeah, peace. Do you want peace? Are you a seeker of peace? Or are you a seeker of restlessness and agitation? Are you a seeker of eternal going around, running around, driven by craving? Craving being the slave driver, tanhadaso, a slave to craving. Yeah, Craving is this eternal movement towards something. We think we're going somewhere, but actually we're going nowhere at all. We're just going, carrying on and on and on. Uh, it's kind of a bit bleak. Yeah, this is samsara. Huh? 
If you really want peace, there's only one thing you have to do. You have to drop the bait. That craving is dangling in front of your nose. And craving says, go here, go there. This will make you happy. And craving has been lying to you for all of these years, all of these decades, all of these lifetimes. When is the penny going to drop? Yeah, Drop the bait. That's when the penny drops. Penny drops, the bait is also dropped. What is that bait? The main thing that the bait is, is all the beautiful things in the world. Yeah, All the things that seem so shiny and nice, but actually are hollow. They are empty. They provide no real satisfaction. It's like that dog eating the licking the blood on the bone, uh, but getting no satisfaction. That is the problem with craving here. Uh. So drop that bait. Uh, drop the bait of the sensual things in the world. Uh, first of all, don't force yourself. Uh, don't push yourself too hard with that, uh, but gradually start to see what is going on. And as you do that, uh, your mind will incline in the right way. Uh. And then eventually, once you have dropped that bait, uh, there's an even more profound bait, uh, and that is the bait of existence itself. Uh, the bait of the I am delusion, the bait of uh, uh, there being something there really worthwhile holding on to her. Uh, but actually, uh, it turns out to be empty, that to her. Uh, and then uh, you are really dropping the world's bait. Uh. So, um, yeah, time flies by. The retreat is over be almost before it started. Uh, and it's just so fast. Uh, yeah, it's just gone. It kind of vanished into nothing. And afterwards, it's empty. Uh, you know, when you go back home, uh, this retreat will just be a memory. It's almost as if it you know, it sort of happened. It's still there, but it's kind of memory. It's not really real anymore. Now reality is whatever you're doing next. And these things, things just disappearing, vanishing in the rear view mirror, mirror of, the, of your car. Your car just being your memory and your life. So time flies by, yeah? And it's not necessarily bad. Maybe I make it sound really negative and bad. It's not bad. As long as you are growing in wisdom, you are growing in good qualities, then time going by is, is okay. Let's have a look at the next one. Very similar. Uh, just a slight variation on the same theme. And it's just the, uh, the sutta that comes immediately before her. At Savati, standing to one side, that Devata recited this verse in the presence of the Blessed One. Life is swept along, short is the lifespan. No shelter exists for one who has reached old age. Seeing clearly the danger in death, one should do deeds of merit that bring happiness. Life is swept along, says the Buddha. Short is the lifespan. No shelters exist for one who has reached old age. Seeing clearly this danger in death, a seeker of peace should drop the world's bait. This idea of life is swept along. He has this current running down. Somewhere else it says that the mountain is like, uh, life is like a mountain stream. A swift current coming down the mountain, uh, taking all the flotsam yeah, with it as it goes down. All this kind of collateral damage almost as it goes down. Uh, we're running around in the world craving and doing things. Uh, and there is a bit of collateral damage as we run through our lives. Uh, and uh, and uh, so there's this rushing on, yeah, moving forwards to a future that we think we have, you know, that we think what it's going to be, but actually turns out to be very different. Uh, it turns out to be pretty empty. 
So you rush along. No shelter exists when you have reached old age. If you haven't done your business, done the right thing in the meantime, then when you're older, it's going to be too late. Yeah, it's going to be now is the opportunity. The older you are, the uh, this you know, if you are coming kind of you're on your deathbed, can't really do that much on your deathbed unless you have lived well beforehand. Now is the opportunity. Now is the chance. When you are older, it is often too late. Seeing clearly the danger in death, when death comes, uh, then uh, whatever you have, however you have lived, uh, that will then decide where you go next. Uh, so um, there's a, some beautiful similes in the suttas. I, there's a nice sutta which I sometimes read out on this retreat. Uh, these were kind of retreats. It's called the Araka Sutta. Remember the Araka Sutta? Uh, yeah, and the Araka is this. Uh, a religious teacher who lived a long time ago before the Buddha in ancient India and he had all these disciples 500 disciples and he because he was before the Buddha he was not enlightened he was not awakened he was not an arahant yeah but he was still a very kind of spiritually elevated person and he was someone who practiced samadhi so he was free of any desire for the world so he had in large part, he had already dropped the world's bait, if you like, but not fully, but in large part. And uh, he uh, taught his disciples, and what he taught his disciples was, uh, life is short, yeah, life is short and full of suffering, that's what he said. And uh, then he has the, all these similes, and one of the similes, like just the a drop of dew on the grass, yeah, when the sun comes out in the morning, that drop of dew evaporates, bang, like that. In the same way, life is short. It's like a drop of dew on the grass. And then he has this other, there's a lot, I can't remember all the similes now because I haven't looked this up for a long time. But one of them is the simile of the cow, yeah, the cow being led to slaughter. Why do cows exist in the world? Well, they exist for many reasons, but one of them is to feed people, yeah. So they get slaughtered and they kind of get pulled into the slaughterhouse. And then, of course, they meet their demise in the slaughterhouse. Uh, it's terrible how we treat these animals sometimes. You, you see these things and it, um, you know, it's kind of awful. And they, people don't usually want to be butchers or the people who kill the animals because it's a very unpleasant thing to do. Uh, yeah, it goes against the grain of your natural compassion for beings uh, uh, when you uh, are in that, put in that situation. Uh, but uh, this teacher says that human beings are the same. We are like that cow led to the slaughterhouse. Every step you take, you are one step closer to death. Yeah, every step you take, you're one step closer to death. You're like the cow being led to the slaughter. Kind of powerful imagery. This is found in a couple of places in the suttas. In this Araka Sutta, this is found in the Anguttara Nikaya 7s. Rad, I think number 70 or something like that. I can't remember exactly the number, 70, 71, something around there. And uh, uh, so these are the, the similes of how short life is. Yeah? And then comes the, the punchline. This is the punchline of the sutta. Then uh, at the very end of the sutta, there's kind of the narrator. He says, oh, yeah, and at that time, yeah, life is short and full of suffering. At that time, they only had four kinds of suffering, hunger and thirst, going to the toilet, that was about it, yeah. That was the suffering they had at that time. And the lifespan, it was short, but it was 60,000 years. 
that's kind of the punchline of the suit. I, whoa, okay. It kind of drives home the point. Yeah, that doesn't matter whether you live for 60,000 years or six eons almost. Uh, because in the kind of big picture of things, it's short. Uh, and then it's gone. It's evaporated like, like the dew before the sun. Uh, it's all ha- gone. And then you wonder, yeah, what happened? Now it doesn't exist anymore. Now you have to suffer and you have to carry on in this life. Uh, it's really, I don't know, I, I really love those kind of uh, similes and, and suttas. I should have take, brought with me the Arika Sutta, actually. Actually, I have it. I have it with me. Of course, now is the time to use this super-duper device. And let's see if I can find the Arika Sutta. I can find all of these um, these similes. I'll read them out for you. Might as well. Why not? Why not? It's good to mess around a little bit. I don't want to take these things too seriously. So see so if I can find the Arika Sutta. See what the Arika says. We. So this is um, the great website called uh, Sutta Central, which has all of these suttas on it. Um, and it's getting better all the time. It's become. It's really becoming the world's number one website for suttas. Uh, and all the scholars in the world, they also use this website now because it has so much information there, so many things going on. So it's becoming really super duper. And it has all the translations from the Chinese suttas in Chinese and the suttas in uh, Tibetan sometimes and from Sanskrit and Pali, of course, etc., uh, etc. Et so it's, uh, it's becoming a great tool. So I would really recommend you to have a look at that site if you have a, have a chance. Um, Ah, ha, okay, got Arika. <laughs> okay, so here we are. Yeah, so these are the uh, uh, these are the similes. Yeah, that he, that he uses. Uh, um, so I'll, I'll just read this out for you because it's quite it's quite nice. Uh, Brahmins. Yeah, these were uh, these are the disciples of this Arika. He calls them Brahmins because Brahmin is like an elevated term. So it's like he's praising them. Yeah, Brahmins, spiritual practitioners. Uh, Life as a human is short, brief, and fleeting, full of pain and misery. Yeah, Yeah. being hungry and thirsty, that sort of stuff. Think about this and wake up. Do what's good and lead the spiritual life, for no one born can escape death. It's like a drop of dew on a grass tip. When the sun comes up, it quickly evaporates and doesn't last long. In the same way, the life of humans is like a, dr- a dewdrop. It is brief and fleeting, full of pain and misery. Yeah, think about this and wake up, do what's good, and lead the spiritual life, for no one born can escape death. It's like the rain, like when the rain falls heavily, the bubbles quickly vanish and don't last long. In the same way, life as a human is like a bubble. It's like a lion drawn in water. It vanishes quickly and doesn't last long. In the same way, life as a human is like a lion drawn in water. Gone. It's like a mountain river traveling far, flowing fast, carrying all before it. 
It doesn't turn back, not for a moment, a second, an instant, uh, but runs, rolls, and flows on. Uh, in the same way, life as a human uh, is like a mountain river. Uh. Uh, here comes a nice one. This is one of my favorites. Uh. It's like a strong man who has formed the glob of spit on the tip of his tongue. He could easily spit it out. Uh. In the same way, life as a human is like a glob of spit. <laughs> oh, that's really kind of gee. <laughs> uh, suppose there were an iron cauldron that had been heated all day. If you tossed a lump of meat in it, uh, it would quickly vanish and not last long. In the same way, life as a human is like a lump of meat. It's like a cow being led to the slaughter. With every step, she comes closer to slaughter, closer to death. In the same way, life as a human is like a cow being slaughtered. It is brief and fleeting, full of pain and misery. Think about this and wake up. Do what's good and lead the spiritual life, for no one born can escape death. Now mendicants, at that time, beings had a lifespan of 60,000 years, etc., etc. And human beings only had six afflictions, cold, heat, hunger, thirst, and the needs to defecate and urinate. But even though the human beings were so long-lived and had so few afflictions, Aruka still taught in this way. So I don't know what you think about that, but um, <laughs> it's nice to have these computers come in pretty handy, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, there you are. So that is just the uh, just this idea, and it's such a simple idea. Yeah, the idea that life kind of goes fast and it's so easy to forget, uh, so easy to, when we're in the hustle and bustle of ordinary things, running around. Uh, to forget that time actually is so precious, uh, it's so short. Uh, you cannot really have one moment when you forget about what really is important in life, where you should pay attention to, uh, what, how you should direct your mind at all times towards these important things on the spiritual path. Uh, simple things like just being kind, uh, yeah, uh, and then you're on the right track. Yeah. So let's have a look at the next uh, sutta. This is the uh, Samiddhi Sutta, one of my favorites, uh, and it kind of sets up like a, almost like a koan. It's like a Theravada koan. They're not so, there are koans. This kind of goes back to the, I think, early Buddhism, because the idea, of course, that spiritual practice, especially when it's profound, it often seems paradoxical. Uh, yeah, it seems like we're turning the world upside down. And for most people, it's very hard to really grasp what these things, these profound things are about. Uh, so it seems paradoxical. Yeah, and sometimes the Buddha, he creates paradoxes. And this sutta, and there's also another one, I think, which I shall have a look at a little bit later, is also kind of paradoxical. So um, this is kind of interesting because when you are confronted with a paradox, it means that there is a chance of looking deeper into uh, reality. So Samidhi, this is also from the Devata Sangyuta. Uh, this is uh, the 20th Sutta, the very first book of the, the very first chapter of the Sangyuta Nikaya, the Connected Discourses of the Buddha. 
Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at Rajagaha in the Hot Springs Park. Then the Venerable Samidhi, having risen at the first flush of dawn, went to the hot springs to bathe. Having bathed in the hot springs and come out, he stood in one robe, drying his limbs. Yeah, so um, Hot Springs Park, for those of you who don't know, if you go to Rajagaha in the present day, it is still there. Can you remember it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, have you been to India, Venerable Seri? You haven't been to India? Okay, gee, okay, you have to go to the Hot Springs Park when you go there. Because it's really cool when you go to those places and you see it actually exists, yeah? It's actually the reality. These things actually, uh, you know, this, this is not just a story, this is real, yeah? This is such a place. And you go to India today, uh, the Indians are still there bathing in exactly the same hot springs. And you walk past as a tourist, you, you watch, <laughs> look at these Indians. And it's really, it really brings it alive. Yeah? It's just astonishingly powerful when you see that. Uh, of course, it's a bit more advanced now. They have some tiling and it looks more like a proper bath. Uh, but uh, still, the basic idea is the same. Uh, so uh, he has just bathed. Yeah? At that time, the monks would go there. And uh, there is a story in this in Vinaya as well about this, about how the monks made the king wait, yeah, because he, the king would also bathe in these hot springs. But anyway, let's leave that aside. So um, he stands there, yeah, just just come out of the water, drying himself, just dressed in one robe, and. Then what happens? Then, when the night had advanced, a certain devata of stunning beauty, illuminating the entire hot springs, approached the venerable Samidhi. Having approached, she stood in the air and addressed the venerable Samidhi in verse. This is always kind of interesting. Yeah, you have here the the monk, and then you have the devata. Yeah, there's a kind of a, energy here which is a bit kind of dangerous yeah there's a temptation or whatever in the air when you when you especially in the air quite literally because she's standing in the air yeah so temptation in the air <laughs> you know what i mean this is what, what it says here <laughs> so the, but there is a kind of there's a kind of a drama going on here this is almost like theater yeah there's, there's a kind of a tension happening here and uh, so what is going to happen yeah, with this monk and the devata? And uh, as you will see that this tension is very real because the verses are, uh, are kind of playing on that same thing. Yeah. So this devata, she says to Samidhi, she says, Without having enjoyed, you seek alms, bhikkhu. You don't seek alms after you've enjoyed. First enjoy bhikkhu, then seek alms. Don't let the time pass you by. Yeah, so it's about time again, uh, this, this verse is. Uh, it's about what matters in life, yeah, what we should do, how we should uh, kind of get on with things yeah, before it's too late. Uh, and of course, what it, he, she's talking about here is enjoying, is enjoying the pleasures of life. That's what she's talking about. You monk, why do you wear these kind of stupid robes and shave your head? Well, shouldn't you be enjoying yourself? You're young, for goodness sake. Yeah, young people, that's what they should do. Get married, you know, and enjoy the pleasures of the world instead of messing around like this. 
Yeah, so first enjoy, then seek arms. This was the ancient tradition in India of the Brahmins. Uh, you start out in early life, you get married, you have children, you do all of the things of the world. And then when you're old, you can't do that anymore, you can't make any more money. Okay, then I'll go forth yeah, and become a monk. Yeah. It's kind of, being a monk is, you know, it's okay, but you don't do it while you are in the prime of life because uh, it's kind of uh, something that, you know, first enjoy and then you become a monk. Yeah. That's kind of the ancient Indian idea. But in Buddhism, it's different. Uh, because in Buddhism, you realize that actually these things of the world are not as enjoyable as, it's, as they seem. There is something really profound to be done. There's a problem to be solved. In fact, when you are young, that's exactly when you should go forth. That is exactly when you should become a monastic. Because that is when you have the energy, you have the clarity of mind. Yeah, You have those things that are come with you in youth that are very useful to, for understanding the message of the Buddha. So the younger you are, the better it is to go forth. And this was one of the uh, surprising things in ancient India, and the thing that people would say, wow, you've gone forth when you're young, what's going on? Going forth is for old people, yeah, when they are useless, they can't do anything else. That's when you go forth, not when you're young. And this is what this devata is kind of playing into, yeah? So what does the Samidhi say? Does he say, oh yeah, you have a point, what am I doing? Big mistake, yeah, becoming a monk, yeah. Maybe time just to kind of come back to lay life and uh, and just enjoy, yeah. Oh, this, or does he say something else? Well, this is what he says. I do not know what the time might be. The time is hidden and cannot be seen. Hence, without enjoying, I seek arms. Don't let the time pass me by. This is an interesting one, I, I don't know what the time might be. Yeah, this is kind of really interesting. Yeah. The time is hidden and cannot be seen. Yeah. What exactly does it mean by that? And it's not uh, entirely clear what it means. Uh, but uh, maybe what it means is this idea of rebirth, of time going on. Yeah, And that actually there is a sense of urgency here. There's a sense of something else that needs to be done. Uh, time is not something that is obvious uh, how, it, how it is to be understood. Uh, yeah, it is kind of hidden. There are hidden variables in this world, uh, things that we don't fully understand. Uh, and for that reason, you have to be careful uh, what you do. Uh, yeah, and because there are these hidden things, uh, he's probably saying here, I have faith in the Buddha. And because I have faith in the Buddha, I'm not just going to enjoy myself in a silly way uh, and then not having any, you know, and then being stupid. Uh, and now is the time to practice. Don't let the time pass me by. Then that Devata alighted on the earth and said to the Venerable Samidhi, You have gone forth while young, Bhikkhu, a lad with black hair. This must have been translated by an Englishman, a lad with black hair. Endowed with the blessing of youth, in the prime of life, without having dallied <laughs> with sensual pleasures. <laughs> this is not Ajahn Sudato's translation, that's for sure. <coughs> Enjoy human sensual pleasures, Bhikkhu. Do not abandon what is directly visible in order to pursue what takes time. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, the pleasures of the world, they are right in front of us. They are there to be taken. Yeah, nice meal, a nice relationship, nice entertainment, it is there. But all the spiritual path, you sit there in meditation, nodding, and w nodding away. When is it going to happen? Yeah, as many of you say, 
you come to the interviews and say, oh, I'm really kind of, you know, I, I get a little bit peaceful and I get this excitement. Now it's going to happen. Yeah. But then it doesn't happen. Yeah. Just waiting and waiting. Always in the future sometime. Surely this devata is right. Yeah. Why do we wasting our time seeking all this stuff that never comes? There's a point there. I, 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 it was funny, many years ago I was uh, on a tour of Indonesia. I used to go on these tours, I still do actually, well not now in, during COVID, of Indonesia traveling around to all the cities and then giving talks in all the cities. And it's actually, it's really tiring, but it's quite nice as well. Huh? And so I got to this one city and there's always a big audiences. Yeah, It's very rare they get to see monks in, in Indonesia, so they're really excited when they get a Buddhist monk coming. Yeah? So this large audience, yeah, and I don't know, Sometimes like 300 people or 500 people or 2,000 people sometimes, depending on where you are. And so I was telling this story. And I said to this young man, there's a young man sitting in front. Yeah, I said, you know, so who do you think is right here? Is this deva, is the deva right or is the monk right? And he said, yeah, the deva is right. It was very funny. The whole hall kind of burst up in laughter. Yeah, it was, it was, very, it was very nice. And... <laughs> yeah, because there is a, there is something to this, right? There is that's what it seems like on the surface of things. So this is what I mean. This is like a paradox here. What is going on? If we can grasp this paradox, if we can understand what is happening here, we can gain a bigger insight into what the Dhamma is about and what the world is about. So then, then he replies. He replies, "I have not abandoned what is directly visible, friend." in order to pursue what takes time. I have abandoned what takes time in order to pursue what is directly visible. For the Blessed One friend has stated that sensual pleasures are time-consuming, full of suffering, full of despair, and the danger in them is still greater. While the Dhamma is directly visible, immediate, inviting one to come and see, applicable to be personally experienced by the wise. And then it goes on a little bit, they go to the Buddha, etc. But uh, it is not, the rest of the sutta is not quite so relevant. So what is going on here? What does he mean that sensual pleasures are time-consuming? What is the meaning of this? Uh, and this comes back to this idea of craving, yeah? When it comes to the world of the senses, when it comes to the pleasures of the senses, uh, it is almost as if we are eternally trying to move towards something uh, that is always out of reach. Uh, there's a, a whisper in our ear that when you get this, you will be satisfied. Uh, when you get there, then everything will be all right. Uh, and it's often like that. Yeah, I don't know when you, if when you were young, uh, yeah, you know, young. I mean, like a teenager or whatever. Uh, and you think about the future, you have this dream about the future, this idea of what the world is going to be like. And the world is nothing like that. Yeah, it's completely different. There is never that satisfaction. You keep on going and going and going. It never comes. There's always a movement towards something else. Always a movement to the future, regardless. That is why it's time-consuming. You never reach any goal. You never reach any purpose. You keep on travel traveling potentially forever unless you see that this can never really satisfy you. But then the Dhamma is the exact opposite. Yeah. Sometimes when you get it right, and this is what I mean, you have to practice the Dhamma moment to moment right now. Because if you do the right thing right now, turn your mind in the right direction, 
Yeah, turn your mind towards kindness, turn your mind towards peace, turn your mind towards insight, uh, understanding a simple thing like this. Uh, and at that moment, uh, you can experience that peace. Uh, and that peace, that contentment, as I mentioned before, it has reality to it. Uh, it is deep. Uh, it has nothing to do with craving. It is immediately experienced as a true happiness that actually is satisfying. Uh, and many of you will have noticed that sometimes, yeah, when suddenly your meditation comes together a little bit, uh, uh, that craving, that restlessness which tends to be with us at all times, uh, suddenly it's gone. Uh, it's no longer there. And you feel a sense of meaning uh, that you have never felt before. Uh, you know that this is it, yeah, there's no movement forward anymore, there's no craving, there's nothing to drive you forward, the desire is gone. Uh, that itch inside of us that always pulls us condemns us to go forward yeah it is so compulsive driving us forward somewhere that never can give satisfaction that itch is gone there's nothing more to itch you can just enjoy you can sit here and sometimes it feels like you can sit here forever yeah because there's nothing to drive you forward there's nowhere to go anymore that is what we mean by meaning purpose you have found a real satisfaction in life some people think that sounds terrible because you don't have any drive anymore, but it's exactly the opposite. Uh, yeah, it's exactly the opposite of terrible. It is, it is real satisfaction, real contentment, uh, whereas the other drive never gets you anywhere. Uh, just keep on going and going and going. Uh. So this is the difference, yeah? And this is why the Dhamma actually works, uh, whereas sensual pleasures that just drive you on, always trying to move somewhere, they are time-consuming. Uh, that idea that the, t the sensual pleasures uh, can be had straight away, well, it is true in one way, uh, but the point is that they're not really satisfying, and that is why it doesn't actually work out. Uh. So that is the little sutta with uh, Samidhi. Nice sutta? <laughs> okay, great. I'm glad you approve, because uh, I love this kind of little things. Yeah, they're really, they're really nice. So. So, that is the uh, sixth way of letting go of things yeah, that we see in the Sutta, the uh, uh, letting go through dispelling. And now we come to the last one. This is the uh, defilements to be let go uh, or be given up by developing. Bhavana is the last one. And uh, now we come to uh, the very profound parts of the Buddhist path. So far we have just kind of preparing the mind uh, yeah, by getting the mind ready, getting a right, little bit of right view at the beginning, giving up defilements, directing things in the right way. And once you have sufficient mindfulness, uh, once you have sufficient clarity, then you are ready for the meditation practice. Uh, that is why now we are coming to meditation. And this last one, bhavana, is all about meditation. So far, it's all, it has all been about yoniso, patisanka yoniso, yeah, wise reflection. You reflect in the wise way, and then when the, that has sunk in deep enough, then you're ready for the, uh, uh, the bhavana bala, the power of meditation, of developing the mind. So we're coming towards the end, yeah? Uh, at least the end of these suttas. Doesn't mean that necessarily all of us have come to the end of the path. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> at least to get an overview of what the path is about. 
So let's see what the Buddha has to say about uh, developing him. And what are the defilements that should be given up by developing him? It is when a mendicant reflecting properly, yeah, patti sankha yoniso, which is a very close to yoniso manasikara, all this wise reflection, proper reflection, it develops the awakening factor of mindfulness, develops the awakening factor of investigation of qualities. I think I prefer translation qualities over principles. To me, principles is too hard to really grasp what it means. Anyway, develops the awakening factor of energy, develops the awakening factor of rapture. This means like joy, yeah, powerful joy. Uh, the awakening factor of tranquility develops the awakening factor of stillness, immersion, some say immersion, actually not some, only one says immersion here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some say concentration, but I, I don't like concentration. I, I, I like Ajahn Brahm's translation, stillness. So. And develops the awakening factor of equanimity, which rely on seclusion, fading away, and cessation, and ripen as letting go. Yeah, so this is the final development here. And uh, what you will notice as I mentioned before, is that the first one of these factors is the awakening factor of mindfulness. This is equivalent to the seventh factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. And the last two are uh, stillness, samadhi, and uh, equanimity, upeka. And these are the factors of sama samadhi. So what this sequence shows you, uh, it shows you a, uh, a fine grained division of the various factors of meditation, how meditation happens, starting with mindfulness, ending with the most profound samadhi you can have in upeka, the uh, equanimity of mind. So this is all about meditation, how meditation comes about. Yeah. So this is actually very, I don't know, this is very interesting. Yeah. Now, before I, I say anything more, I should make the point that this particular sequence, these are called the seven factors of awakening, the Satta Sambhojanga, the seven factors of awakening are part of the 37 Bodhipakya Dhammas, the 37 aids to awakening. This is said to be the Buddha, by the Buddha to be the summary of his entire teachings. Yeah, his entire teachings are summarized as the 37 Bodhipakya Dhammas. Seven of those 37 are the factors of awakening. So here, this is the core of the Buddha's teachings that we're looking at here. Yeah, this is one of those very important sets of teachings. Uh, this is critical for awakening. They're called awakening factors. Why? Because they lead to awakening. Uh, not because they are part of awakening. They might be, but that's not why they're called that. Uh, not because they, of some other reason, but because they lead to awakening. This is what takes you to awakening if you practice these things fully. All the other stuff we have said, seen so far, of course, is also important, but it's more preliminary. Now we're coming down to the stuff that really takes you close to the very heart, the very purpose of the Buddhist teachings. So this is very, very core teaching of, the, of Buddhism. Yeah, it's important to realize these things because when we get that, we take these things much more seriously. Yeah. In fact, all of the things I have taught are, are, are really core, but uh, this is directly there as part of the 37 Bodhipakya Dhammas. Yeah. 
And you will notice, because this is about meditation, how the mind develops in meditation, if you compare that to suttas that have to do with meditation, and we will do that shortly, we will look at the Anapanasati Sutta, maybe this afternoon or tomorrow morning or whatever, see what happens, uh, that the factors of the Anapanasati Sutta very closely align with these seven factors of awakening. Yeah, It is basically the same kind of sequence. Uh, but shown from slightly different angles with a slightly larger magnifying glass focusing in on more qualities or whatever, but basically the same sequence that you see here. There's another sequence which is very important, which I would call, sometimes called dependent liberation. Dependent liberation is, first of all, dependent origination, yeah, which is avidja, pachaya, sankara, sankara, pachaya, vinyana, uh, all the way up to dukkha, yeah, jara, madana, etc. Yeah, okay, English, I'm sorry, I'm talking Pali now. So, English, yeah, 12, the, the um, uh, dependent origination starting off with ignorance and delusion leads to all these willed activities that we do in the world based on that delusion, which establishes our consciousness in a certain way. And then through all these 12 factors, it all leads ultimately to rebirth and there, therefore continued problems. Yeah, This is how suffering is defined in Buddhism. But then once you have come to the end of that uh, dependent origination, uh, yeah, suffering, suffering gives rise to something. It gives rise to, wait a minute, I'm suffering. Maybe I should do something about this. Uh, maybe I should, you know, start practicing in a more spiritual way. Why just keep on perpetuating these problems I have by just doing the same old thing all over again? Maybe I should look for a solution elsewhere. So far, I haven't gotten that far. I'm still around, still here. So let me do things differently. And that is where this starts to kick in. And this is what is called then dependent liberation. Uh, based on that suffering that you start to understand, you start to change your, your way you live. And the, the, the uh, primary thing that you change is that you become a better person. Uh, yeah? You focus more on kindness. Uh, yeah? And you remember the importance of morality in your life, avoiding all the bad things. And from that, uh, it all comes together. This beautiful sequence of dependent liberation, which I also will have a look at later on if we have time, that too is almost very, very closely related to the seven factors of awakening. So all of these teachings are major teachings in the suttas, dependent liberation, mindfulness of breathing, the seven factors of awakening. Yeah, This is core things about how the path works, how meditation works. And once you know that, uh, you pay attention to what these things are saying in an entirely new way. Because this is really the description of the Buddha for meditation practice. And what do they have to say? What are the, the critical things that they say? And the critical things is two things that is always true of meditation practice, uh, meditation that works. One, it is joyful and happy. This is just so important, right? It's joyful and happy. Meditation is something positive. It's a positive experience. Uh, two, it is peaceful and tranquil. Uh, so these two are the two factors uh, we should use uh, to evaluate if we are practicing in the right way. Is it enjoyable? Uh, are you, you know, are you enjoying what is going on? Are you feeling more peaceful? Are you feeling tranquil? Uh, 
Uh, and if you are, then you know that you are practicing in the right way. Not only if you are feeling these things, but actually if they are developing. That's the main point here. They should develop. They should move forward. Yeah? And then as you do that, then uh, things are going in the right way. Huh? So that is the... Uh, uh, that is what this is about. The two things that have to do with meditation. yeah, And then you're heading in the right way. So keep that in mind. Because these are very useful reminders of whether you are doing the right thing or not. yeah. And then it kind of... Because sometimes we just get it wrong. And we think, we hear kind of, oh yeah, sitting with pain is very useful. But actually, there's nothing about pain in any of these main ways of thinking about meditation. It is not really important. I, the, the reason why people talk about pain, I think, has to do with the Satipatthana Sutta. Because in the Satipatthana Sutta, if you look under the Vedana Nupassana, contemplation of feelings, it, it kind of lists pain in there. Yeah, So you have to understand pain somehow. But if you look more generally at how meditation is explained, yeah, there is basically not there at all. So we have to understand the pain in the Satipatthana Sutta in the right way. And the right way is to understand that you understand it, you go beyond it, and you have insight into it through its disappearance, rather than kind of hanging out with pain all the time. We don't need to spend a lot of time uh, sitting with pain. Isn't that wonderful? I think that's a such an uplifting thing. Yeah, put the pain aside and uh, have enjoy what is going on instead. So, seven factors of awakening. Um, so you start off, let's have a look at them just a little bit more detail before we uh, move on. Um, actually, quite a, quite a bit of detail perhaps even to see what happens. Uh, first one, the awakening factor of mindfulness. Uh, what does that mean? And what it means, it is defined in the suttas in two different ways. Uh, and one of the main things that it means is that uh, it, just, it just means mindfulness uh, as the samasati, yeah, right mindfulness. It means satipatthana practice, yeah. It means mindfulness of breathing. All of these things are satipatthana practice. Uh, that's what it means. So as you practice mindfulness of breathing, uh, then this is what you should expect. Uh, this is the outcome of mindfulness of breathing. Uh, yeah, this whole sequence. It starts off uh, with just watching the breath, uh, and then these things then arise as a consequence of that. Uh, one of the important points here of the seven factors of awakening is that they are sequential. Uh, the uh, each factor arises out of the previous one. Yeah. So if you do mindfulness of breathing, then each one of these arises out of that mindfulness of breathing. Yeah. Samadhi, stillness of the mind, ultimately is caused by mindfulness of breathing yeah, and doing your meditation properly. Yeah. Yeah, via each of these factors. So that is one way of thinking about it. Now, one point I should make straight away, uh, when we talk about Satipatthana, what does that actually mean? It is interpreted in, an, in a large number of different ways, depending on which tradition you go to, whether it's Goenka or it's Mahasi Sayado or it is, uh, you know, other teachers. Uh, there are all kinds of things. You know, some people talk about m mindfulness or movement of your limbs. But in the suttas, uh, the way that, mindf that uh, Satipatthana is uh, practiced, uh, it is said to be fulfilled, is by mindfulness of breathing. Uh, 
That is the one method of meditation that the Buddha says fulfills Satipatthana. So that's all you have to do, really. Yeah. And if the Buddha says that's how you fulfill it, maybe that's what we should be doing. Yeah. If the Buddha says so, it kind of makes sense. Why get sidetracked by other things? Those other things might be okay, but uh, the Buddha recommends mindfulness of breathing here. So that is how you then get mindfulness started. That is one way of doing it. Another method that the Buddha talks about in the suttas is what are called the anusati. Anusati means recollections. And the Buddha specifically talks about dhamma nusati, recollection of the dhamma. And the idea is that when you uh, listen to a Dhamma teaching, uh, yeah, you read the suttas or whatever, when you think about that, well, the consequences of that is that your mind kind of uh, gives up the defilements, uh, yeah, and you are focusing on the Dhamma, and your mind, you, you gain mindfulness as a consequence, uh, and then the sequence happens as a, as a basis uh, based on that recollection of the Dhamma. Yeah, and you won't always experience that. Sometimes you read the Dhamma and you kind of, oh yeah, whatever, don't, don't really maybe understand or doesn't do anything for you. But occasionally this may happen uh, and you feel really inspired. Uh. And uh, the idea of all the anusatis, uh, the recollections on the Buddhist path, there are many different kinds of recollections. Yeah, the, the standard six kind of recollections, but there are e even more occasionally. There is the Buddha Anusati, recollection of the Buddha. Dhamma Nusati, recollection of his teachings, Sangha Nusati, recollection of the noble beings in the world, Sila Nusati, recollection of your kindness. Yeah, if you live really well, you just feel good about yourself, can't avoid it. Sila Nusati, Chaga Nusati, recollection of your generosity, Devata Nusati, yeah, recollection of the devas. Wow, the devas, they've been practicing like this, they have had that as a result. Yay, I'm heading in the same way. Wow, marvelous. And really, at the end of the day, any uh, recollection you do, that gives rise to that kind of joy and uh, understanding and kind of uh, gives you that oomph, yeah? That is the right thing. If you get joy by recollecting something, then mindfulness will also tend to get established. When the mind is joyful, usually the mind is also clear. It is present. It is aware. Yeah, these things go together. There was an interesting... Um, a discussion of this done by a monk and many years ago and so there's three things that always work around each other mindfulness energy and joy yeah these always tend to come together as clusters in the suttas they're very closely related to each other if you are really mindful you tend to be energized and you also tend to have joy if you have energy in the mind well joy and mindfulness come with that and if you have joy because it is joyful, because you are enjoying the present, uh, you will tend to be mindful. And joy, an aspect of joy, is energy. So these things are very closely related to each other. So if you are able to bring up joy in any way, yeah, not by thinking about sensual pleasures, but uh, joy that comes with the Dhamma, yeah, Dhamma joy, whatever, however that comes about, uh, then you are on the right track. Yeah. Mindfulness will come with that. Uh. So these are the two ways. Either just hang out with the breath, uh, wait for these things to arise, or use the recollections to uh, bring about mindfulness. So uh, what happens then? And then what happens then is that the next one is you develop the awakening factor of uh, Dhammavichaya is the Pali word. He calls it here investigation of principles. Uh, but the idea really is that you 
understand the things that are good and bad, especially in your own mind, yeah? The defilements, whatever refined defilements you have left at this point, you investigate that so you can overcome it. That is what this really is about, yeah? Uh, it specifically says the kanha sukha, what is dark and what is bright, what is, uh, uh, what is it, uh, savaja and uh, avaja, well, sorry, savaja and, uh, yeah, but what, what is blameworthy and blameless and all these kind of things, I think is what is in there. Bright and dark, blameworthy and blameless, kusala, akusala, I think, wholesome and unwholesome. These are some of the, yeah, different, how this is defined in the sutta, this particular factor. So it's really about investigating here. Uh, things, yeah, understanding your mind, understanding where you're heading here. Yeah. This is such an important thing, yeah, to be able to give up the refined defilements, uh, because those refined defilements are going to, is going to be where you get stuck very often, uh, yeah. Meditation is going well, why doesn't it go deeper? Uh, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but I'm stopping at some point. Why is that? Uh, and usually it is these refined defilements. Uh. One of the way of the overcoming them is then to, first of all, don't don't have any expectations in a meditation. Enjoy whatever you have. This is the counterpart to expectation. It's just to enjoy whatever you have. It doesn't matter what you have. Even if you, it's really kind of basic and simple, enjoy that. And as you learn to enjoy what you have, you also learn to give up expectations. Yeah, we talk too much about results in meditation. It's kind of crazy to talk about results. Jhana, stream entry, oh, I want to become a stream entry. Whatever, forget about that. If you want to become a stream mentor, the best thing to do is to forget about not wanting it. Don't want it. It's going to get in the way. So instead, you stay with the present. You enjoy what is happening. And then that is where you get insight. All the expectation, all the desire will actually block you from even getting those insights because it will take the mind into the future, will take the mind into some area where you no longer have clarity about what's going on. So if you want to have clarity about what's happening, the best way is just to be here, just to be aware without any kind of reaction to what is going on. Not, don't judge yourself, don't judge the meditation, don't expect, don't get excited about anything, just chill. Yay, chill. Okay, chill. Yeah, chilling is good, that's what they say. So do that, yeah, and then you are going to be in business, you're going to understand what's going on. Investigation of principles. I think qualities is better because uh, it has a lot of it has to do with the qualities of your mental states. And as you do that, if you investigate in the right way, you will be able to abandon those final defilements of the mind. Yeah, Satipatthana practice uh, is all about getting rid of the final define defilements of the mind. Uh, a large part of it is about that. Satipatthana, the last, the four Satipatthanas, these are the mindfulness meditations, right? The four ones, the last one is called Dhamma Nupassana, uh, contemplation of Dhammas, again, meaning qualities. This is called Dhamma Vichya, the other one is called Dhamma Nupassana. And Vichya and Anupassana are very closely related to each other. Vichya is a bit more investigation, Anupassana a bit more observing, but obviously they go together. Then as you abandon all of that, the more you abandon your defilements, the more energy the mind will have. You're coming more into the present. You're becoming more mindful. The energy, the joy, all of these things arise. And when the energy arises, it always comes with joy, rapture, piti, 
energy is virya, rapture is piti in Pali. Yeah. yeah, and now you are really with really enjoying yourself. Yeah, the breath is still there. You're doing the breath meditation, uh, becoming more and more profound as you go along. Uh, the piti gradually gives rise to a very profound sense of tranquility. Uh, that profound sense of tranquility is so pleasant uh, that it is a glue for the mind that takes the mind into samadhi. And that is how stillness or immersion happens. Immersion is a nice word in the sense that you are immersed in your meditation experience. Yeah, It gives an idea of what meditation is all about. Uh, you are immersed, you are still, you are happy, you are peaceful. All of these marvelous things coming together. Yeah? And then you keep on practicing that immersion, that samadhi, until it becomes so powerful uh, that all you have left is equanimity. Uh, that is where you go to the high jhanas uh, and you experience some of the most profound things that are possible to experience in samsara. And then you have come all the way to the end of the path. That is the end of the path. Uh, yeah? There's nothing more to be done beyond that. And the result of doing that is you become an arahant. Uh, whether you want to or not, uh, yeah, and I and and you obviously will want to. Yeah, you become awakened as a consequence of that. There's nothing more you have to do. The mind just goes there because you have all the information, you have everything you need to know, and this happens as a consequence. So, and then it has all this stuff about relying on seclusion, etc. But that's too late. Gonna have to come back to that uh, this afternoon. But that gives you a overview of the seven factors of awakening here. So again, have a nice lunch and we'll see you back again at two o'clock.